This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, June 24th, 2018, at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is Andrew Pack. More information can be found at rdchurch.com. This morning's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 23. When they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word. Y'all can sit down. Good morning. This is your first time with us. My name is Andrew. I'm the pastor of discipleship here for Restoration Road Church. Uh, If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 24. Uh, We will begin there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table out there. Feel free to grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, uh, I'm pleading with you, please take it home with you uh, and read it. Uh, Please join me in prayer. Sovereign Lord, maker of heaven and earth and the seas and everything in them, you are God to be glorified and to be worshiped and to be known. King Jesus, I pray you would bless us today, you would guide us today, you would change us by your word, you would reveal in us uh, where we think we are the center of the story, and you would show us your story and what you are doing in history, and as we behold what you are doing, uh, it would inspire us to be bold for you, and that Jesus, we would understand to actually play our part in your story well, we need your help. That we are not the people who began by the Spirit and are going to finish in the flesh, but we need you, Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us and point us to Jesus. We need you to make us bold, and we need you to reveal to us where we're putting ourselves first. I pray for this church that would be a God-first church, that we'd be a gospel-centered church, that we would be a Jesus-focused church. And that we would be known for a kind of sanctified recklessness that doesn't make sense to the world but makes all sense in light of the gospel and in light of Jesus, what you have done and what you are doing. And we can only do this with your help. So Jesus, please bless us, lead us, and guide us, and fire us up for you. We love you, Lord, and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, We live in 2018. 
if you don't know that, that's where we're at. Um, and in this time and in this place, there's a kind of caustic uh, self-centeredness that, that sort of eats away at our souls. We live in a kind of me-first kind of generation uh, where we put ourselves and our interests and what we need first all of the time. You have to love yourself if you're going to love anybody else is what you're told. And that usually means that you get what you want and you think about everybody else later. We put ourselves at the center of everything. And it turns out that comes up pretty empty. Uh, We have this phenomenon right now called a YouTube star uh, where they get their own YouTube channel and they're just on the thing all the time and people are busy liking them on the internet. Right? They get everything they want. They're at the center of everything. And it turns out tons and tons and tons of these people are crashing because it turns out we're not supposed to live at the center of the story. God has actually built us for something so much greater and grander than for you to spend the rest of your life getting sick of yourself. He has built us to enjoy him and know him and to glorify him. And he is more enjoyable than anything we can imagine. And as we turn to Acts chapter 4 today in verse 23, uh, we're going to see this truth. And it's really important for us because honestly, as Christian people, we can do the same thing. We end up just inviting God into our little story rather than wading out into his great grand story of what he's doing in the gospel. And as we look to Acts chapter 4, we're going to see that these men and women understand something. And if you don't understand that they, they come out of this framework, you won't understand anything they're saying. They understand that at the center of history is Jesus and his gospel. At the center of history is the reality that human beings have rebelled against God and sinned against God, and we've done the wrong things, but we've also done the right things for the wrong reasons, and there's a bunch of good things we've just chosen not to do. We've hurt God, and we've hurt man, and we cannot save ourselves. These people understand the Savior has come, that Jesus had come to earth to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we deserve and rose from the dead to save sinners from death to life. And that we can't save ourselves. Every other world system tells you about how you can get to heaven or you can get to paradise or you can get to nirvana or you can get to your best life now. The good news of the gospel is that you can't, but that Jesus can and that Jesus has. And they understand themselves to be in this great story that God is weaving, that God made everything good, that human beings broke everything, and that God in his grace actually called out a special family called Israel, and that family got to exist to be a lighthouse to the goodness of this God, and yet just like Adam and Eve, they broke their relationship with God. But God in his grace and mercy, when Adam and Eve break their relationship with God, makes a promise to send somebody who we now know as Jesus. And just like when Israel broke their relationship with God, he made a promise to make a new covenant. That's a word for that relationship they had. There was going to be a different kind of covenant. The old covenant was they will be his people and he will be their God if they walk in his ways. But they need more. We need more. And so the new covenant is that I will be your God and you will be my people and I will cause you to walk in my ways. And they understand this cataclysmic reality that the first 78% of your Bible, the Old Testament talks about this Messiah who's going to come and save, this Messiah who's going to come and change everything, this Messiah who's going to wipe the tears from the eyes, the Messiah who's going to put the world back the way it's supposed to be has come and his name is Jesus. Now they've been told by the, the religious authorities 
if you talk about Jesus, we're going to beat you up. That's a little bit of the remix, but that's essentially what they've been told. So here we are. We're in Acts. We're in chapter 4. We're in verse 23. Uh, they, they tell them they're going to beat them up. And they leave from there and they go find their friends. And we're going to see three things today. Number one, what God is doing in history. Number two, how disciples respond to what God is doing in history with boldness for Jesus. And number three, how disciples need the Holy Spirit's help to live with boldness for Jesus. So we're here in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. This is the first thing on their mind. They told us if we talk about Jesus, they're going to beat us up. But we told them we're going to talk about Jesus no matter what. There's a boldness there. There is a willingness to be put in harm's way for the gospel. There's an understanding that they have because Jesus is who he says he is and because of this truth of this gospel and because they've been saved and that they didn't do it, but God did it and it's a gift and they've been given life that they actually have everything in Jesus and won't do anything without him or anything against him. And what's amazing here is this is still scary. They're still scared, and you'll see why in a second. This is still scary to have the religious authorities tell you they're going to beat you up. Verse 24, look at their response. What do they do? They get out the whiteboard, they make a plan, and they hire a lawyer, and they figure out what to do next. No. They turn to God in prayer, and they say this. Verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. And this word uh, really means like, like the way that we sing together in one voice or in one accord. So whatever's happening here, one person's probably praying, but they're so unified in the gospel and in this boldness for Jesus that when they pray, they're saying, yes. And in their souls, they're saying, yes, let's do it. This thing is happening. They lifted their voice together in God and said, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. There's a lot going on here, and it's wonderful. Uh, This word here is where we get this word sovereign Lord. Uh, It's not the normal word for Lord. It's actually where we get the English word despot. So a despot is like a dictator or an autocrat, someone who's in charge of a whole country, and whatever they say goes. And and when when that kind of power is vested into human hands, it's really dangerous and pretty scary. But they're going to talk about how God made everything. The reality is that God is the sovereign ruler of absolutely all things. And when they come to God with an anxiety about the future and a confusion of how they're going to proclaim his name and what's going to happen and people want to beat us up and Jesus got crucified, maybe I'm going to get crucified. Maybe this is going to go poorly in a worldly sense. Their response with this anxiety is to go to God and start talking about who God is. I don't know what you bring in here with you today. But the answer to whatever your problems are, start with understanding who God is. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the sovereign over all things. And he is in absolute, utter control. And he has you. And not height, nor depth, nor power, nor principalities, nor anything in any of creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that's durable because he's in charge of everything. And so here they they lean into this truth. They bring their fears and their concerns and they lean into reality. 
And then they begin to talk about what God is doing in history. And they're going to hook up their prayer to this big story of God, this big history of redemption uh, in, in, in the big history of the world in a really clear way. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They're leaning back into the fact that God made absolutely everything out of nothing. And without him was not anything made that was made. And so all of a sudden, these chief priests and these rulers seem kind of petty and small compared to the sovereign Lord of the universe. Who, Verse 25, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. So let's look, look at verse 25 for just a second. If you've ever heard me preach, you have heard me say the phrase, please read your Bible slowly. And I just said it again. And I mean it. There's a lot happening in verse 25. Who is the who here? The who is God the Father. Who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. So we've got the Father, we've got the Spirit, and we've got David. Now David, uh, and it bears repeating every time we come to David, uh, in the Hebrew mind and in history, is this great towering figure. Uh, he is what they kind of think of when they think of a prototype for the Messiah. Uh, he's this really important guy. He's our George Washington. He's our Abraham Lincoln. He's this titan in their minds. And what they're praying here is God, who, the who there, by the power of the Spirit, is they're going to begin to talk about how David wrote the Psalms, and they're going to lean into this reality that, yeah, David was great, but God is so much greater. Not only that, that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is what we understand, how we understand Scripture to work. So this isn't just a book written by a bunch of guys. And it's also not a book written by a bunch of robots. They're not sitting there and God saying, okay, verse 1 is going to say dot, 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 dot. They're actually human beings with their own unique time, place, and experience, and even grammar, their own flavor, and their own uh, feel. And God, by the Spirit, works through them to say precisely what God wants them to say. And there are no mistakes in the Bible, and we believe absolutely everything it says, period. Because this is God's Word. Now, as they lean into this reality, they point to God as the one who is great, not David. Right? It says it here. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. He's only saying it because the Holy Spirit allowed him to. And if you are here today, you need to know that you are only here because God is letting you be here. It's his grace and mercy to you that you are here this morning. And I am here this morning. And what's interesting is of this guy, this patriarch, our father, David, what do they say of him? They call him a servant. They don't put him in this great regal position. God is the one in the regal position. David is his instrument. God is the one doing the work who through the mouth of your fa our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And he's going to quote Psalm 2, 1 and 2. Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Go with me, if you would, to Psalm 2, and we'll look at this whole thing. 
So the thing you have to understand when you're reading your Bible, especially when Psalms are quoted, this was the hymnal of the Old Testament people of God. These were the songs they sung. When I say Jesus paid it all, then in your mind, you immediately think all to him I owe, if you know that song at least. But hopefully you don't hear me singing it because that's hard for everybody. That's why they turn this thing off when everyone else is singing. But hey, So when a psalm is quoted or an Old Testament passage is quoted, uh, these people would have known their Bibles, and I pray that you would know your Bible so well that you immediately immediately think to it and the rest of the content of the verse. So we'll just start in verse 1 again. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers, and they take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So this means that there are all these forces, all these things in the kingdom of darkness that are unified against God and his will and his kingdom in the world. Not unlike what's happening for these wonderful people in Acts chapter 4. There are a lot of forces that are organizing against them. There are forces that are threatening them. But this is what God says about it. Verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. That's what God thinks about that high priest. That's what God thinks about your boss who tells you, if you talk about Jesus anymore at work, you're fired. God is God of all things, even your boss who told you he'd fire you. Verse four, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. We don't like the word wrath. Wrath is the business end of justice. Wrath is people getting what they deserve. And so we get mad when it talks about God having wrath, but it turns out we are not afraid of wrath. We actually think people deserve to get what they get. Uh, karma is a story of wrath, right? Uh, if you think about it this way, if people get all the good things that they get out of karma, they also get all the bad things they get out of karma. That's a desire for wrath. It sounds nice at first that you put the money in the tip jar and you know a bird lands on your shoulder and smiles on you or whatever. But it also says all you nasty people are gonna get your nastiness right back. There's better news than that, and that's the gospel. The Christian faith says that, yeah, I actually deserve a lot of wrath. I I deserve a lot of the business end of God's justice. And the Lord Jesus Christ in his grace and mercy came and drank that cup so I don't have to. He died so that I might live. I get what he deserved. He got what I deserve. And I didn't do anything to earn any of it. So I'll take the gospel over karma. Thank you. And you should too. Today's the day. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. Now, this is going to be very important. So keep that little verse in your mind, what he just said and how they're actually going to apply Psalm 2 to the cross of Jesus Christ. I will tell of the decree. Listen. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Does this sound like anybody we know? J-E-S-U-S. Jesus. He is the king of me. The Psalms are very messianic. In fact, Jesus tells us in Luke 24, the whole Old Testament points to him. That is the point of the whole thing. That is the point of history is to point to this great redemption that comes through King Jesus. Verse 8, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them like a potter's vessel. 
As these forces are organized against Jesus and his people, they're taking these promises to the bank when they're praying Psalm 2. Jesus has it. That's why we can turn the other cheek. That's why we can love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That's why we can be loving and kind and gracious when people aren't, because we know Jesus has this thing. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. God has not lied to us or hidden the fact that he will judge evil in the world. So what do we do about it? We do this. The end of verse 12. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Take refuge in Christ. Take refuge in Jesus. So here we are. We're back in Acts chapter 4. So they've, you know, they've kind of pulled that whole, I think they're pulling that whole psalm into what they're saying. And then listen how they apply this truth about Lord, those uh, moving against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, which city are they in? They're in Jerusalem. What do we need to know about Jerusalem? It's the city of God. Remember that verse I said that you need to keep in your mind? They call it Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. So God's Messiah was in God's city. They were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. By the way, Christ is not Jesus's last name. It comes from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed, which is another way to say Messiah. Messiah is the one that was promised in the Old Testament to come and put everything right. So they're trying to say, just so we're clear, this is who we're talking about it, B-T-Dub. Now listen, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, so Herod is an, what's called an Edomite. There aren't really Edomites anymore, so you may have never heard of them. But Edomites are descendants of Jacob's brother Esau, who was red and was hairy and apparently liked lentil soup a lot. His kids are the Edomites. Jacob gets a new name at some point in time. His name is Israel. Okay? The Edomites live outside, just outside of Israel, and he's there, they're in Israel, Jacob's kids and Esau's kids. Turns out they never, ever, ever get along for a really, really long time. Uh, at some point in time, uh, later, the Maccabees, these other cats, end up conquering Edom, and the Edomites end up with this guy named Herod. Now, as you're reading your Bible, You'll see there's lots of Herods. The Herod I'm talking about actually isn't in your Bible, but he is a total creep. He is not a good human being. He is horrible. He's an interesting historical figure. Cleopatra wanted him to come and you know, put an army together against Rome. So he's significant in history, but he, he was horrible. And it turns out most of his kids are also horrible. And whenever you hear about a Herod, they're usually horrible. And so you think when you get to a Herod, you think, which Herod are we talking about? Well, yes, that is important. But if you don't have time to, to hit the lexicon, just think, uh-oh, Herod's here. So Herod is ruling in Judea, what used to be called Israel. So the guy who's the king in God's land isn't one of God's people. He's actually this other guy who's not one of God's people. And he and this other guy, Pontius Pilate, who is also a horrible human being. I was just reading my daily Bible reading this morning about how he took the blood of some, some people who he killed, some, some Jewish people that he killed, and mixed it with blood of animals for Roman sacrifice. Horrible, horrible, horrible human being. 
And the two of them agree and end up crucifying Jesus in a sense. They agree in a sense. And, and these people are being held responsible here for the crucifixion of Jesus. So a fake king who's sitting where the Messiah should sit, and a Gentile king. Gentile always means the people outside of the family of God. So there's a horrible Gentile king and a horrible fake uh, uh, Judean king, and they're holding them responsible for crucifying Jesus, but it doesn't stop there, does it? Along with the Gentiles. Well, here, this is really represented by the Romans who are in the city crucifying Jesus, but there are likely people because of the vast nature of the Roman Empire. There are all kinds of people outside of the family of God there represented uh, in Jerusalem, taking Jerusalem over, and in a sense are responsible for crucifying God's Messiah. But he says something worse. And the peoples of Israel. So God's Messiah is in God's city, crucified by God's people by the help of the Gentiles. And they're calling it out. And they're actually connecting this reality to what's ha- as an extension of what's now happening to them. As they're saying, don't talk about Jesus. And so there are these forces organized against God and his Messiah. And they're saying, but this isn't a surprise because we know Psalm 2. And really what we have here is the world against Jesus, right? And we need to be careful because this is where I can say, yeah, yeah, it's the world against Jesus and they are by extension associating with Jesus. So it's us against the world. It's us against them, right? And we need to be careful not to establish a Christian victim mentality here. And here's what I mean by that. Because what did Jesus come to do for them? He came to die on a cross to save sinners from death to life. And it's not us against them, because at one point in time, either you're a Gentile, meaning you're outside of the the family of God that was Israel, or you are, you know, you might be of Jewish background, but you in that. But what he's saying is, all of us, everything, everyone was organized against Jesus. And despite the fact that everything is organized, including us when we were apart from him, against Jesus, Jesus came to save sinners from death to life. At the right time, Jesus came and died while we were still his enemies. This means we come to him with empty hands. You bring nothing to the table. And this is really good news because honestly, he's not going to pick me or you because we are awesome, because he is God and we are not. The good news of the gospel is not that you get yourself cleaned up and maybe Jesus will like you. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus loves you. Turn from your sin, turn to him, repent, believe, be saved, and live. It's not just that he pays the price for our sins, but he gives us life and life in abundance and freedom. He frees us from all that stuff that we were stuck in before. I don't know what you bring in here. If you don't know Jesus, you do, I don't know what you bring in here. All I know is about Jesus. And all I know is what he's done in my life and the life of the people in this church to set us free for his glory. And so they connect the reality of what's happening here with the priests uh, and, and persecuting these people. And mind you, these are the people who were probably, many of these people were the people who were saved at Pentecost. Or thereafter, these are the same people who may have been shouting, crucify, crucify, crucify. They understand that Jesus' blood is on their hands, but that Jesus came to drink the cup of wrath I deserve so I don't have to. This is a powerful prayer they have here. Now listen to verse 28. 
to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The cross is not plan B. The cross is plan A. Jesus' movement in our lives is not accidental or incidental. If you are in here today and you have never heard about this Jesus, I need you to know that God brought you here this morning. That it is by hand, his hand you sit here right now and hear this message. And I'm pleading with you. Don't just walk away and say, well, that was cute that those people think those things. Because today is the day. Repent and believe in King Jesus. Verse 29, and now Lord. So now they've laid out for us what God is doing in history. He is moving to redeem and to save. And in verse 29, there's this switch. And we're going to let how these disciples respond to what God is doing. And they're going to respond to what God is doing in history with boldness for Jesus. So verse 20, oh, pardon me, 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. These people are saying, don't talk about Jesus. And grant to your service, ser, uh, servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness. Uh, this word has the flavor of courage. And this particular word actually has uh, some connotations of freedom. Uh, to speak freely. To be unafraid. To be looking down the barrel of a gladiator's cage or a, cro a cross or whatever other thing. And to say, Jesus is Lord. Always and forever. No matter what, Jesus is Lord, and he has it. They locate themselves in the story and are both responding to the story with boldness and asking for help for this boldness to live in the freedom of God to follow Jesus. If you have had an encounter with the God of the universe in the face of Jesus Christ, your life and my life should look different than the world. There's certainly do here in Acts chapter 4. Is this you? Is there anything uh, that flavors your life with a kind of saltiness and a kind of grit that makes you kind of uh, weird to your neighbors or to your friends or to your parents? Are you willing to be bold for Jesus? Because honestly, I think many times we think I will be bold for Jesus next week. But this week I have some things I must do. I will go be bold for you, Jesus, later. Are you dreaming big dreams for the kingdom? Are you willing to go to the mission field or to downtown Everett or to downtown Snohomish or down at the end of your cul-de-sac and be bold for Jesus? Not all of us are called to the mission field, but all of us are called to live in a radical wake of the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is my suspicion he did not save you so that you could live like the rest of the world with the rest of your life. In fact, I know it. Is there room in the calendar on your iPhone to serve the Lord? Is your workplace and your family and the way you drive, is this marked out with a joy for Jesus and a boldness for the Lord that says, I understand that I have not earned anything I have and everything I have belongs to Jesus. 
when my kids want to hang on to the things they have and have them just for themselves at the center of the story, I often say to them, did Jesus give you that fill in the blank to go like this or like this? With your life, do you have closed hands? And there are things that I will do for Jesus, but honestly, there's a bunch of stuff if Jesus asked me to do. Honestly, that just doesn't really work. It doesn't work out. It's not in the planner. I, I had a plan to do something different. Is there a radical flavor to the way you are willing to follow Jesus? Because this is the trajectory of the scriptures. Abraham is probably a very wealthy guy in what, what is now probably modern-day Iraq. And he had stuff going on, and he has this encounter with the God of the universe, and the God of the universe says, I'm going to have you leave your family and your home and everything you know, and you're going with me. And Abraham says, God, I could do that mm, like three Tuesdays from now. I'll go with you like three Tuesdays from now. Is that good? Can we do that? Abraham packs up his stuff, and he goes. Uh, Moses has escaped Egypt. He's escaped the consequences of defending uh, an Israelite. Uh, He's gotten married. He has kids. He has sheep. He lives in Midian. It's nice there, I guess. And God shows up and says, Moses, we're going to go bust everybody out of Egypt. Now, Moses takes a little bit of convincing in all fairness. But what flows from there in Exodus is Moses doing some very scary stuff and facing off against the the leader of the hegemonic world power, saying things like, God said this, and you're going to do it right now. Uh, Which, by the way, takes a little time for him too. Uh, In Mark chapter 1, verse 16, we hear this. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, the he here is Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, Mark loves this word, by the way. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. They didn't put the boats away. They didn't mend the nets. They didn't clean the fish. They said, Jesus, you're going that way, and so am I. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. He went again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. He leaves his business, he leaves everything behind, and he goes with Jesus. Are you willing to do this? Is this us? Is there a kind of sanctified recklessness to your life that your coworkers wouldn't understand when you say, you know what, I'm, I'm actually turning in this you know, six-figure job, and I'm going to go work for the Everett Mission, and that's what I'm going to do. Do people understand that? They don't. And frankly, without the Holy Spirit, they won't. Do you pray big, crazy prayers for the kingdom of God? Do you pray things like, Jesus, this is your day, and I belong to you. So by the way, this day, and I belong to you. Do with it whatever you please. Whatever you please.
Luke chapter 9. There's a cost to following Jesus, and we must count the cost as these disciples in Acts chapter 4 have counted that cost. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the nest, uh, and, uh, pardon me, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You can come with me, but we don't have anywhere to sleep tonight. You still want to come? I'm, I'm on the road. You still willing to go with me? Are you willing to be uncomfortable for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to be uncomfortable to be obedient, obedient to Jesus? To another, he said, follow me. But he said, first, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Now, without a little context, this does seem a little rash and cold. And, and what's likely happening here is his father is probably still alive. And he's saying, listen, he's old and there are these social responsibilities I have to him, and he's not going anywhere, and so I need to stay here, and I need to take care of him uh, to fulfill my social obligation. There are customs at work here, uh, and I'll wait until I retire to do something radical for Jesus. Well, I'll wait till, the, till I've been retired for like 10 years, and then I'll go do something radical for Jesus, because I worked really hard, and then there's those other 10 years, and then I'll go to India or something. Whatever you say, Jesus. So he's saying, can I, can I put off following you to fulfill the social norm? Are we willing to put off the things that Jesus is calling to you? Are, you? are you willing to put off repentance of a sin? You're like, I'll deal with that. I know I have the sin and I know I need to deal with it, but I'll deal with it next week or the week after that or the month after that or the year after that. Maybe a year from now, I'll deal with that sin. Or is today the day that we go to war against our sin? Is today the day we repent to somebody? Is today the day that we get after Jesus and we obey him? To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, oh, pardon me, verse 60. Uh, and Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Go proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say well to those at my home. Now, this is different than the dead bury the dead. This is there's an immediateness to this. Let me go say goodbye to everybody. Let's have a party or whatever. And Jesus says to him, Jesus said to him, verse 62, no one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. There is a God-focusedness to their life. Now, does this mean that if you were to stand up and say, hey, I, I feel God calling me to uh, you know, Zimbabwe or Venezuela or wherever, and I want to go, we say, you know, Restoration Road is not going to have a party for you. You just need to get on the plane and go. No, that's, that's not what we would do. But if you're feeling God calling you to Venezuela or Zimbabwe, are you taking steps in that direction now? Are you willing to dream these big dreams for the kingdom? Are you willing to do everything and leave everything behind for Jesus? And here's how it works. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 12. And I need you to hear this. Because this is gospel truth of it all. Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify a people through his own blood. Outside the gate, outside of Jerusalem, is where the cross is. But also outside the gate, outside the camp, if you know your Old Testament, that's where everything scary is. 
and unclean is, and hard is, and horrible is, and uncomfortable is, and everything that can kind of mess you up, that's outside the gate. We live in Snohomish. We don't think about gates. We don't have to close the gates at night because we're not really afraid of barbarians rolling into town and wrecking shop on everything. Like that's not, that's not our mindset at this particular moment in history. But friends, it has been the mindset of many people throughout history. And honestly, uh, we are very comfortable here. There are people around the world that if they don't close those gates at night, people are going to come in and it's going to be scary. And he's saying Jesus went out there, outside the camp, to sanctify a people for himself by his own blood. What does this mean? He means that if you are a Christian, you have been set apart by Jesus for his glory and for our joy to know him, to love him, and to serve him. And that was done by his blood and his sacrifice to set you apart, to make you his own. So what I need you to hear when he says this next thing, that that's where we're starting from. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So I don't do hard things for Jesus so that Jesus will love me. You don't do hard things for Jesus, whether that's talking to that other mom at the soccer game with your kids, which is being on mission, taking care of your kids and discipling your kids is your primary mission field if you are a parent. And that is radical and at times hard and at times difficult and is going outside the camp. So, so don't hear me wrong. It's not out in Zimbabwe, all out in Zimbabwe. Some of it's out in Zimbabwe and some of it's in your living room. It's just not saying, I'm just tired of dealing with this. I'm not even gonna deal with this anymore. It's getting in there and getting in the nitty gritty, but you don't do these things. You don't love the people on your cul-de-sac and you don't love the people uh, out in the world and you don't do these things so you can get some points so Jesus will love you. That's what the therefore is there for. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. What does that mean? Because you've been washed by his blood, because you've been set apart, we can forsake comfort. We can forsake our own plans. We can forsake what's nice for us and follow Jesus. And that's not so that he will love us, but because he has loved us. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Let us be associated with Jesus like these people in Acts chapter 4 and be willing to say, yes, you tell me you're going to beat me up if I don't If I stop talking about Jesus, I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. For here, putting in perspective, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We're busy prioritizing the things of the world, and they are dust, friends. They're dust. Do you enjoy soccer with your kids to the glory of God or to get the trophy? The trophy is dust. Playing soccer with your kids, that rings out into eternity. The trophy is dust. You loving your kids in Snohomish, in a dark city like this, and being light in the darkness, that rings out into eternity. Is your family ringing out into eternity? Is your friendship ringing out into eternity? Are you concerned with the age that's coming, or are you fixated here? Verse 15, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good, to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It pleases God when you love a life that says, Jesus first, everybody else next, me last. 
What is Jesus calling you to? What are the things that you don't even want to entertain? Because it messes with your plan. It messes with, uh, you know, your schedule, your finances. It messes with getting that car paid off. It messes with your 401k. It messes with you. And you had a, dang it, Jesus, I had a plan. And it was a good plan. So did Abraham. So did Simon and Andrew. So did Levi. And honestly, so did these disciples who are praying for boldness here. So we're back. We're in Acts chapter 4. Now, what's amazing is they know they need God's help for this. We need Jesus' help to do scary things and to face opposition. Yes? We do. And Jesus knows this about you. But he didn't save you because you're tough. He didn't save you because you're awesome. He didn't save you because you're bold. He saved you so he could make you bold and the world could look on you and look on me in our weakness and say, wow, God must have done that. And now look, Lord, upon their threats, which are scary. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand and heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. As we live on your mission, as we proclaim your name, as we do things in your name, as we preach the gospel to the dead, as we go forth, Jesus, you must strengthen us. You must help us. You must empower us. We cannot do it on our own. Verse 31. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now this word continued is in a particular form that doesn't just, uh, it means something that happened in the past that has ongoing results. So as they go to God and seek his strength that they might be bold in the name of Jesus, they might be free and courageous in the name of Jesus, it has an effect on them in that moment, but it is an ongoing reality in the life of these disciples. Because when we look at Jesus in the face, it's not a one-time deal, but an ongoing reality in us. And we need his ongoing work in our lives to speak to this world with boldness. They understood something we need to understand. I need to understand. You need to understand. And that's that we need Jesus to do anything that Jesus wants us to do. We need Jesus to do the things of Jesus. And you also need to understand I have never known Jesus. So when you say, Jesus, help me love you more. Help me love other people more. Now that might involve that sanctification where you find yourself when you pray to love other people more. All of a sudden, the boss moves the the office around and you're sitting in the cubicle with the guy you really hate. Because sometimes he has different plans for your sanctification than you do, but I promise they're better. But we need Jesus to serve Jesus. If you are in here today and you are not a Christian, I'm begging you. This is the truth of the gospel. I don't know what you bring in here. I I don't know what, what your experiences are, but you need Jesus and so do I. We're not here telling you, get your life cleaned up and put on a happy face and be like us. We're telling you that we are people who are far from God and received his grace and mercy, not because of anything we've done, but everything he's done in love and he's forgiven our sins and he's given us life and there's room here for you. 
There's room under the cross for all of us. Today is the day, repent and believe. And if you're looking at your life and you're saying, yes, a radical life for Jesus sounds really nice for the guys who went on mission in the biography I read of Hudson Taylor. Yes, that's nice for him. Friends, this is for us. This is for us to have a kingdom-centered life. What needs to change in your life today for you to get after Jesus and being bold for his name? And to those of us who are mature or those of us who are on the front line somewhere doing this stuff, you need to A, remember that you need Jesus' help to accomplish these things. Don't get ahead of Jesus. But also, what are you going to do to help other people follow him? What are you going to do to help other people out into a more radical life for the Lord? How are you going to invite people into what Jesus is doing? How are you going to encourage people? And when they say, the world says, I can't say, you know what? But Jesus can How are you going to give of yourself to help other people follow Jesus this way? Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, you are maker of heaven and earth. We are weak and you are strong. We need your help to repent of our sin. We need your help to live for your kingdom. We need your help to be bold in the gospel. And we understand where we're at in history. You are redeeming all things unto yourself through the cross. Jesus, you are taking people who were your enemies and you are making them your friends. You will wipe every tear from every eye and we get to be a part of this story. We get to be a part of this history. And so Jesus, move in our lives and help us to see that. Holy Spirit, fill us, make us bold for the gospel and help us to make much of your name as the people of God. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ, amen.